Hey everybody, this is Jordan from Smallville, Bad Cat Shipper. This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, and you can help support the Batman Universe by heading to patreon.com slash the Batman Universe. Now, Tim. Yes, Dane. I've been uh, wanting to ask, how many hours of podcasts, of recording podcasts, have you done for solo? <laughs> Uh, it's funny you should ask that <laughs> because I was thinking that not too long ago because Last Jedi, I think I did about 12 or 13 hours worth of podcasts <laughs> for that <Jeez>. one. <laughs> I don't think this one's going to be quite reached that. But so far, I mean, we'll see how our discussion goes for it today. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right now I did, let's see, three, about three and a half hours for the saga continues, which no surprise there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then I did two more uh, podcast for our Thunderclack podcast network, like the exclusives for like one for exclusive Patreon, and then I did another one for a standard spoiler cast for that. Those are about an hour each. So right now I'm currently at five and a half hours. So by the time we're done recording this episode, I'm sure I'll be past six hours. So <laughs> just <laughs> half of how much I talked about the Last Jedi. Well, the Last Jedi was was twelve hours of of podcasting. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> It was a movie that warranted, I think. There was so much to take in and dissect and discuss and <laughs> talk yeah. about your feelings in that one. I just don't I, – I mean we've we've brought this up before on this show and I just don't know how you you did that. <laughs> yeah, the funny thing is we probably could have went longer. <laughs> yeah, I still, I, I still don't know how you did that. <laughs> But that's beside yeah. the point. Um, we are going to talk about Solo, but uh, before we do that, you know what we got to do, right, Tim? Well, of course. We got to spend a minute with the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, so uh, grab your uh, HD DVD, grab your Blu-ray, grab your uh, Laserdisc, grab your VHS copy, uh, grab your... Oh, Tim, you got to help me out. D- DVD... Beta. DVD Betamax is all going to go. Beta, Betamax. Uh, grab your Blockbuster rental and your Netflix <laughs> physical subscription rental. I think that's and it, And last right? but not least. How could I forget, Tim? <laughs> grab your VHS to DVD converted copy of this movie. <laughs> uh, you got to save the best for last on that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And just cue it to the hour and 45-minute mark, um, and I'm going to give the countdown. So, Tim, are you ready? Let's do it. All right. Three, two, one, hit play. We're still on race. Talking to Batman. He hasn't started fading just yet, but (laughs) when I was still holding out hope, he uh, he has survived Batman Begins. (laughs) Yeah. You know... When I first saw this movie, I thought this scene was way too fast. But now that we're doing the minute-by-minute minute commentary, I'm like, this is like the second or third episode we've done. <laughs> I think it's the second. It's second? Okay. Yeah. So two minutes well, of rage. <laughs> yeah, we've been with Bruce, like, you know, getting on the rope with trying to fix his back. Probably yeah. three episodes, but two with rage. But sadly, he's gone now. Yeah. I guess the prison surgery slash rehabilitation worked. Or like a charm, just like we knew it would. (laughs) Though we don't get a time frame as far as how long Batman was stuck in that noose right there. Yeah. But 
they say later on, I think six months passed, but we just don't know when exactly that was in that time period. You know, I like the tumbler and snow. Yeah. It looks so I cool. I will say that is a nice visual. Yeah. Even though I wish we could have saw the black tumbler. Yeah. That would probably look even cooler. <laughs> but yeah, that's our, that, that's our minute. Um, so uh, we've done this for 145. No. 105 minute, uh, episodes, right? Yeah, we've done it for 105, wow. but in the movie's length, about an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so we only have 60 more to go, Tim. <laughs> we're, always, we're just a bit more half, past the halfway point now, so <laughs> we're getting there. <laughs> now, Tim, I'm so curious as to what our uh, featured topic for this episode is going to be. Mm, yeah, it took me forever to come up with one. I just didn't know what happened since our last episode that we could talk about. But <laughs> no, yeah. of course, we got to continue our tradition of reviewing every new Star Wars movie that's come out. And I mean, it's awesome to say that it's just six months ago we had The Last Jedi. Now we have a new one. So I'm not complaining about that. But yeah, I'm really anxious to hear what you thought about Solo Dane because we haven't really talked about it much since it came out, saving it for the episode. So. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've heard my thoughts on the two Thunderclack podcasts I was talking about yet, but uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and throw it to you first because okay. I'm really anxious to hear what you think. And um, I guess we should say right off the bat, we're going into spoilers. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. if you haven't seen it yet, uh, you might want to beware of spoilers because there's some big surprises that happen in this movie. Um, I guess I'll just give my general thoughts and then we can kind of go into uh uh, the movie in more detail when you uh, give your review of it. Um, my general thoughts is, and I mean this in a positive way, um, because I think uh, over this past week, two weeks, whatever it's been, I think uh, Disney has been getting a lot of unwarranted flack for not only this movie, but what they've been doing. Um, but for me, this movie is um, bland, and I mean this in a positive way, Tim. Okay, okay. So, so, so don't jump. Yeah, don't, don't jump on <laughs> on my back and you know pin me to the ground just yet. And end this um, podcast right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's wonderfully bland, um, and like I said, I mean I mean that in a positive way. Uh, I feel that the movie is a little safe. It's it's a little too safe considering it's a movie about Han Solo who's supposed to be, you know, this this rogue guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um I I just thought they could they could have taken a little just a little more risk, you know. Okay. Um overall. But um that being said, I I liked it. Um I I don't really uh understand what people's problems are with this movie um it doesn't really make any sense um but but i liked it um um yeah i mean that i i think this movie could have just been written better um i know it's the kasdans and i know you know their their name is synonymous with with star wars but i just felt that the script could have been better but um that leads me to the performances. And I think that this movie is held up by its performances. Um, Definitely. And yeah. you're going to have to help me with the name, Tim. Um, okay. Of, <laughs> of Han. Is it Alden 
Oh. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, oh, do you want to let you finish and try to guess it? Or? No, no. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Alden Ehrenreich. Ehrenreich. Okay, Alden yes. Ehrenreich. I, I thought that he did a really good job with um, his Han Solo. He's not doing a perfect copy of Harrison Ford. I mean, nobody mm-hmm. can, right? I mean, it's just you, you have to, going into the movie, you, you just have to uh, understand that he's not Harrison Ford. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but what he does really well is he takes certain aspects that you can recognize from Harrison Ford's performance, and he he does that really well, right? Um, Woody Harrelson, I really liked. Um, Tandy Newton, I liked. Um, the, the the only um, sort of questionable casting choices slash performances I, I have about this movie is um, Amelia Clark, right? Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I thought that she was so bland. In the, I mean, it's just, just just so. It's it's almost like she didn't even care about this movie. I don't know what it is. I mean, I love Game of Thrones. I like her as Daenerys, but I don't know. It it was just something like she's just not there, you know. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is, and it's it. Um. The the next one isn't so much the performance as much as it is the um how the character was written and that's L3. I thought they could, they could have done a lot more with L3 and I don't know why in the end they decided to kill her off in the movie. Um, uh, see that, that probably might just be your two biggest disagreements on the film right there. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so, so, so you liked, uh, Amelia Clark then. Yeah. I thought she was, she did a good performance with her character and, you know, playing, you know, kind of that, I thought she had good chemistry with Alden Ehrenreich's Han as well, too, especially in the beginning where they're both, you know, younger and just criminal, like kids being criminals for that uh, crime boss lady Proxima. And then, you know, her playing that way where she I like how she played it, where she like had to like be loyal to both like two different parties with Crimson Dawn and Dryden Voss. But at the same time, you still know that she cared about Han. So I did like how she portrayed that in L3. Yeah. Um, maybe you could say uh, you, maybe she was underused a little bit, but um, the part I really liked about the character, well, there was two things. First, I liked that it was a droid who wasn't, you know, just somebody's droid. Like, Lando didn't own her. Like, Luke owned R2 and 3PO, and Cassian had K2SO, or BB-8 is for Poe Dameron. L3 is just her own droid, and she's just working with Lando. And I like having that aspect about the character. I know that they uh, she was all about droid rights, was droid rights and you know, being an activist for having droids be free and not enslavement to certain order was a pretty interesting aspect and avenue to explore in the Star Wars universe, which I thought was kind of neat. But I know the big thing, which I've seen a little bit of, you know, conflicting uh, views on how, you know, her fate was and how she got killed off. But and then her, you know, pretty much her main mainframe gets put into the Falcon and they tease it a little bit in the beginning or when she was first introduced, as Landa was saying, she has the best you know, navigational system in the galaxy. And I didn't th- realize it at the time. But when they said and decided to put that in or put her into the Falcon, I thought this made total sense. And I liked it for two reasons, because first, it's a way for the character to live on just beyond this movie. I think it's cool now that whenever we see the Falcon, like in the original trilogy and now in the sequel trilogy, 
L3 is there. We may not physically see her, but we know her presence is in the, you know, Navi computer of the Falcon. And it just adds a little bit more to some of the scenes and dialogue we got in The Empire Strikes Back where uh, C-3PO is, you know, trying to talk to the Falcon. And he says, you know, I don't know where your, like, computer alert to communicate, but it has the most particular dialect. And now we know that's because it's L3. And the way we saw L3 act in Solo, it makes sense that C-3PO would have that reaction when speaking to it. So that's kind of how I like what they did with the character as far as her continuing on throughout the story, just beyond Solo. So that's why I didn't really have a problem with uh, how they handled the character, her getting you know killed off or destroyed in the middle. I, I, yeah, I, get, I, I guess that makes sense. But I just... I, I don't know. I, I I just wanted one droid to survive. That's not C three PO or uh, R two. I can understand that you know? too. Because K two S O didn't make it, and L three yeah. at least in you know a physical droid form. <laughs> didn't make, so. um, speaking of which, um, I really really liked uh, Paul Bentney as is it Dryden? Yeah, if Dryden I'm, Voss. Okay. Because I'm. I'm just not remembering any of the names of <laughs> of anybody in this movie that's not named Han Solo or um, uh, Lando, right? <laughs> well, that's why I'm here to help you out, Dave. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I really, really like the design of. Uh, I I know it was kind of like controversial or whatever. I know a lot of people were talking about it, but I don't know. I oh. I, I liked it. Mm-hmm. Well, he was a last minute casting change because of the reshoots yeah yeah how, how come they got rid of um Mike? is it michael k williams i believe so yeah 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 just scheduling pretty much he had other commitments to do and he wasn't available to do some of the reshoots and so they had to recast with paul bentley and then reshoot the scenes that uh, he was gonna do oh, was, he was supposed to be a little more like alien looking you know i don't know if you noticed his guards that he had that have the helmets that kind of yeah. like the fur skin or fur on their skin a little more animal like yeah, he was originally supposed to look like that, but really? I think, yeah, probably wow. for time restraints with the reshoots and all that, they just kind of gave him those little red markings on his face. Yeah. Oh, I didn't. You see, Tim, that's why. <laughs> that's why I need you. <laughs> <laughs> Give you all the behind the scenes info. Yeah. Um, but yeah, besides that, um, you know, I really, I, I really liked uh, Lando. Um, hey, it's great. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, of course, Chewbacca. Although I, I, I didn't really need a scene where they, they, they kind of expl- or Han kind of explains like this is why I call you Chewie. Mm. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, I thought it, that was a nice moment though, just seeing them yeah, after yeah. what they I went mean, through, just seeing them talking. <laughs> yeah, it was a nice, uh, it was a nice scene, but I, I, I don't really explain why I call you Tim, right? <laughs> <laughs> call me Tim and not Timothy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but overall, I, I I liked it. Um, it was a little underwhelming. I thought the script could have been better, but um, you know, to be honest, when I when I first heard that you know there was some creative differences going on, and you know Ron Howard was coming on, I thought this was going to be a total train wreck, and you know this was going to go completely off the rails. But um, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. I I liked it. I didn't love it. Um, I just liked it um, because part of me, you know, to be honest with you, Tim, and again, I'm not the diehard uh, Star Wars fan here, uh, but part of me is like, do we really need a Han movie? 
like a Han origin movie, or do we need to see more of um, this new sort of universe, essentially? Because um, you know, it it, it kind of is that we see in um, uh, the Force Awakens and the Last Jedi. You know, so I don't know. I mean, it it, it it's it's great for what it is. I, I wish I loved it, but I, I just like it. Yeah, and as long as you like it. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a disappointment. That's good. And that it I was kind of, I guess, uh, yeah. better than what you were thinking with all the behind-the-scenes issues. So Yeah. And it's just funny when you say about, um, do we really need the Star Wars movie? And I've been hearing that a lot online. Yeah. And, I mean, my thing around it right now is, did we need it? No, but at the same time, you could say that for a lot of movies and and Star Wars too. But at the same time, I'm really glad we got it because um, I I thought it was great to be honest with you. And maybe those who are familiar with me think I'm just you know a Star Wars apologist. I like everything Star Wars, but <laughs> as you'll see when I our podcast was the first uh, reaction I did after the Last Jedi. If you remember, I wasn't over the moon about it at that time. <laughs> so right. I've come to grow to love and appreciate it. But this one, I just came out of it with a really good feeling because going into it i was just excited to see some of these big moments we've heard about actually see happen and play out on screen han meeting chewy i mean that's going to be awesome to see han and lando meeting for the first time han winning the falcon such a big iconic moment in the history of star wars we're going to see that happen so i couldn't wait for to actually see what went down there and then also the Kessel Run to get to see that. Hans talked about it in A New Hope and The Force Awakens correcting Ray. You know, it's a big deal for him. So to actually see why it is a big deal for him and what went down with the Kessel Run, I, mean, I couldn't wait to see that. And I got to say, after the movie was over, uh, it, it delivered on all pretty much all those points for me. I thought they did a great job with uh, delivering on, for my expectations anyway, those moments playing out in a satisfying way. So just that in itself. I would really thought the movie delivered on that front, but then you throw in the new stuff it added yeah. and the big surprise <laughs> we got at the end. Yeah. But before we get to that, uh, and, and Tim, can, can I just run something by you? Is that is that only the second time that uh, Darth Maul has been in a Star Wars movie? Yep, mm-hmm. that is right. Yeah. Mm, okay. <laughs> I was <Yeah>. just wondering. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to Maul in a little bit. But. Yeah. Um, yeah, so throwing all the stuff I was looking forward to, the great performances we got from Han, or Alden Ehrenreich as Han, I agree with everything you said about him, Dane, he wasn't doing a Harrison Ford impression, he made it at home, but it still felt like Han, and he had great chemistry with a lot of the characters, uh, Han and Lando, I mean, Donald Glover gave a fantastic performance, and every time Han and Lando interacted, it was great, and I just loved that first Sabat card game they had, the little, uh, insulting banter they had, <laughs> trying to outdo one another in that car game. It was just great stuff. But, man, the Han and Chewie moments, that's my favorite aspect of the movie. Seeing Han and Chewie meet for the first time, it didn't go down the way I thought, but I loved how it did where Chewie was a prisoner by the Empire. We knew there, or I knew anyway, that was always part of the backstory, and I'm glad they went with it. Chewie's a slave of the Empire. Han was in the Empire, but they threw him in this like dungeon for him to get eaten by the beast, as they called it, but it turns out it was Chewie, and then they helped each other escape. And I like that aspect of this new aspect. They went into it because um, being familiar with some of the old EU stories, it was always Han rescued Chewie from being enslavement of the empire. 
And because of that, Chewie had a life debt to him. And that's why he stuck around with him uh, for a while. And, of course, they established and became close. But it was always based on that life debt. And oh, hey, first, Tim. Can, can I just say one more thing that I really sure. loved about this movie? Uh-huh. I like how it's just Han and Chewie. It's it's not – I mean, it end up, ends up being, but it it for the most of the movie, it's just – you know they're they're not saving the universe. It's not yeah. Empire mm-hmm. versus um, Rebels, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I I just like how it's just sort of like a smaller story, whereas Rogue One was this huge story um, about you know getting the Death Star plans and all of this other stuff that plays into uh, A New Hope. I like how this is just Han and Chewie. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I'm hoping for for some of these standalone movies. They can yeah. be a little smaller and focus just on a few group of characters and not have it be galaxy-wide conflict. But just, And I love how this one was a look into the criminal underworld. And we've seen that in Clone Wars and Rebels, but to see it in an actual movie, it was really cool. So I agree with you on that front. But um, yeah, the Chewie and Han stuff was my favorite, how they met, seeing Chewie go in and Han fly the Falcon together for the first time. I mean, that whole – the Kessel Run sequence is my favorite of the movie just visually and from an action standpoint, but that moment where Han, Chewie goes into the co-pilot seat and him and Han give that look to each other I and mean, get Star Wars chills there. <laughs> this is a big moment for those two characters. So, and the music that played, it was awesome. And then probably my favorite shot or moment of the movie is kind of at the very end, and we actually get it in the trailer, but it's when Chewie puts his hand on Han's shoulders when he's seen Kira go away in the ship. I mean, at that moment, Han has lost... Everyone that he thought was closest to him, first of all, Akira, uh, pr- pretty much uh, leaving him after they he thought they were going to go away together. Everything he was looking forward to <laughs> since the beginning of the movie, spend, spending his life with her, traveling the galaxy. Now she left him. And then Beckett, his mentor in this lifestyle that he's trying to become a part of, a part of as a smuggler and outlaw. And he ends up killing him. So all these or he get, first gets betrayed by him, but then Hans ends up shooting him. I mean, Han pretty much lost all his main like support group of characters and but who's the only one there left is Chewie and he just puts his arm on his shoulder and that just signifies to me and culminates the relationship that they built in this movie and that we know is going to come forward and see through the original trilogy and in The Force Awakens. I just love that moment so much. So Han and Chewie were the standouts for me. It really delivered on what I was hoping to see on that with those two characters. That that was surprising though. I, I, I didn't expect um uh, Han to ki- uh, to kill uh, Beckett. Yeah, me neither. You know? Like, uh, but but like that's the part of, I guess, not only this movie but also um, the Last Jedi that that I liked. Um, it's that sort of gray area, right? Mm-hmm. It's not good. It's not bad. It's it's sort of like right in that middle. It, it's it, it kind of reminds me of uh, DJ. In uh, yeah, the Last Jedi, bit. where he's he's not working for any side, he's just looking to make money. And then you know, there's that line that um, that Finn gives, where he's saying, you know, you know, you I, I can't remember what it is, but it's like you're fighting for the wrong side, or or you're wrong. Yeah. Right. Um. And and DJ says, well, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but you mm-hmm. know, I could also be right. You know, you could also lose this war. You know, and I, I, I don't know. There's just something about that that I like. You know, that that was introduced in the Last Jedi, um, and 
yeah, it's it, it's just so perfect in this in, in this movie with Han killing Beckett, you know. Yeah, I mean, at first when I first saw it, and Han shoots him, I'm like, ah, there are are these trying to make up for the Han shoots first thing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> after the special editions and all that. I'm sure that was a little bit of it, but after thinking about it, seeing it again, like, no, it's really a pivotal moment for Han in decision making here. I mean, like I said, Beckett taught him not to trust anybody. He's not going to trust him here and to become a survivor too. And that's what he showed here. So yeah, that was a surprising moment, but one that worked really well for both the character development of Han and the story progression for him. So yeah. And then the new characters, speaking of Beckett, I really liked every new character in here. Maybe some, uh, maybe you could argue were underused. I wish you could have saw more like, uh, Danny Newton's character, Val and Rio. I like Rio a lot. <laughs> he was a funny out of all the characters who, there wasn't much yeah. of a comic relief, but he was, and I thought he had some really funny lines in there. I, I totally for, did not know slash forgot. I'm not sure if I knew that that was John Favreau. Mm. <laughs> I, I, like I had to look it up because like the voice sounded familiar, and I was like, "Oh, like who is that?" I looked it up as soon as I walked out of the theater, and I was like, "Oh, of course, it was John Favreau." <laughs> Yeah, so now he has two Star Wars credits to his name. Yeah. Pre Fizzla and now uh, Rio. <laughs> and um, again, another question for you, Tim. <laughs> uh, we, we are going to get to him eventually, but um, I just have to ask you was that Sam Witwer? Yes, it was. It was, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I didn't think it was Peter. Um, uh, yeah. What's his I, last I can't name? pronounce uh, his last uh, name either. Sarah Finowitz, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm glad it was Whitwer. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, before we get to all the one new character I want to mention, who was one of my favorites, and she didn't have a big role in it, but I thought it was an important one, was Enfys Ness. I mean, first off, that armor in her co- character design is just really, really cool. Just going into the movie, I mean, okay, this is this movie's standout, signature, cool-looking character <laughs> because of her her look. Her helmet's really cool, but it has like a tribal. Um, feel to the rest of the costume and her uh, Marauder gang, the Cloud Rider. So I just love the design and look of the character from first. And she had a pretty cool action sequence in the train heist, uh, just seeing the her her and a gang try to take out Beckett and Han and steal their heist. And their score was really cool. And the little skirmish she had with Beckett, I thought was was cool too from an action standpoint. I, but I, I think that was completely like the entire design, the entire character was for cosplayers. <laughs> I mean, I think right. that's. I can't wait to see cosplayers if I ever go oh, to yeah. the celebration. Again. <laughs> that's a costume I'm gonna, you know, look out for. <laughs> Try to get some pictures. That's an awesome look. See, my dream cosplay photo op would be to take a picture with someone in an Evis Ness costume, a Captain Phasma costume, and a Death Trooper costume, like all in one shot. That would be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> never say never, Tim. <laughs> that's my Star Wars celebration goal, right there. <laughs> But I just love what they did the character what they did with the character from a story standpoint, where at first you're just thinking, okay, they're just a rival gang that's you know going to be a thorn in Han and Beckett's side throughout the course of the movie, and they'll deal with her, and that'll be it. But the fact that they kind of turn her into you know a hero character, and that they're just looking out for their people and to make sure others don't suffer what they went through, that was cool in itself. But to me, what I really love is at the very end when Han gives them the coaxium and how. You know, it's much more than just, you know, fuel and stuff, but it could be the fuel for rebellion. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. They're making Enfys Ness and her cloud riders a small rebel cell that we haven't known about yet. But now they're there. And to me, that opens up 
the doors for some other cool stories and seeing them do what they do for the rebellion. And we know Lucas established this back in the Clone Wars when he did the Saw Gerrera arc on Onderon, where he wanted it where before the Rebel Alliance came together, there was always these pockets of rebel cells throughout the galaxy. They didn't interact with each other until later, and then they didn't come together until Rebels, but they were out there doing their own thing in the fight against the Empire. So now that we got Enthus Ness and her group as part of that, I think it's awesome and really hope they do more stories of that because I think there's a lot of potential there. So, yeah, she was probably my favorite new character from a cool look <laughs> standpoint and just from a characterization and what they did. Uh, I really liked it. So that was cool. But, man, what really made me love the movie afterwards was the big surprise we got of Darth Maul. <laughs> and, Dane, please tell me you were not spoiled going into it. <laughs> please tell I, I me did not surprise. know. I okay, good. did not know at all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it it was one of those things where it, it was almost like, is that Darth Maul? Like I was, <laughs> I was unsure. Like, is that Darth Maul or is that another? Um, what's his species? Zabrax. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Or is that another one <laughs> that has nothing to do with Darth Maul? But then it's Darth Maul, of course. And I was like, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> Man, yeah, it was just, I knew going into it, there was a big surprise because all the social media reactions and some of the reviews I read, I went in spoiler feed, thankfully, but everyone said, oh, there's a great surprise cameo or there's a a big, not, not necessarily a twist, but something gets revealed and it makes me excited for what could happen next. I was like, okay, what could it be? Are they going to set up Boba Fett? Is it could tie into the Obi-Wan movie in some way because Ewan McGregor was at the premiere. Is Han going to go to Tatooine and <laughs> going to see Obi-Wan? Like, what's it going to be? But Man, I was not expecting Maul, but once I saw the robot feet, I was like, could it be? Then I heard Sam Orr's voice. I was like, yes, it is. It's Maul. It's Maul. I actually said that out loud. Not really loud, but just whispering to myself, like, it's Maul. It's Maul. <laughs> and then, yeah, just seeing him, I was going to say in the flesh, but he was a hologram. But yeah. <laughs> just seeing him in live action again was awesome. And the fact that it was Sam Witwer and Ray Park. It's great to have him back in this role. I mean, I never thought I'd see Maul in live action again, especially after what happened to him in Clone Wars and they wrapped up his story there. So to get this was just amazing. But to me, it's more than just a cool surprise. I mean, it fits perfectly with the story that we know about with Maul and why he would be involved in this movie. I mean, in Clone Wars, they established he set up a criminal syndicate and got pretty close to becoming, you know, in control of it with what he set up in that uh, Mandalorian arc there. So it makes sense that he would still have ties to the criminal underworld and be in charge of Crimson Dawn. And it just, again, that's what I love about this movie is how it sets up so many cool story possibilities. They can branch off into whether it's other standalone movies or novels or comics or whatever. But in the case of Maul, it just makes me excited about, you know, what is his plan here? Because we know in rebels, he ends up on, the Sith uh, temple on Malachor. But at this point in his life, what's he trying to do? Is he trying to still establish himself in the criminal underworld before he decides, you know, he has one last chance to get his revenge and uh, go to the temple and get that Sith all around. But this makes me curious on what Maul's next move here. And I hope we get to see it. Can, uh, can hopefully just, in a live action movie, but <laughs> I'll take another story in some shape or form. Can, can I give you a guess Tim? Go for it. I think Maul is still working with uh, Palpatine because no, no, I don't think so. <laughs> because, like, I don't know. 
I don't know. I, I, I just got the impression that he was still working with Palpatine, but no, he was doing it in a way where it wouldn't lead back to Palpatine. Mm. You know what you I mean? He was doing it through Voss first, and uh, then I guess now um, Kira. Yeah, you see, I would think that would be a possibility if you're yeah. just basing off what happened in Clone Wars and how the last time we saw him, Palpatine was going to keep him captive, saying he has other uses for yeah. him. Yeah. But we got the comic story that told us what happened after that called The Son of Death, which I highly recommend reading. It was pretty cool. And he pretty much has nothing to do with Palpatine. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, the thing that I'm going to spoil is what happens in that story a little bit. The reason Palpatine took him and to say I have other uses for him was to pretty much draw out Mother Talzin and for Palpatine to take Mother Talzin out. Because that's what happens why? in that comic. Because he kind of views he... her. You can use her as a potential threat to what he has planned with the Empire. You know, she is powerful in her own right, so oh. we want to make sure he takes her off the board yeah. before he <laughs> sets his plan, full plan in motion. So that was the point of that. And then the last we saw of Darth Maul was just him kind of on the run again. So and now we see him here in Solo. And again, the possibilities of what the story that we can get is just so, so exciting. And the fact, you know, to have them interact with new characters again is just really cool. Like, I make this to see how. Uh, his relationship's going to be with Kira moving forward. I mean, it, I got the impression that they knew each other beforehand. Maul obviously knew her, but I'm not sure how much interaction she had. But just makes me curious of what's going to be because in store for her when she goes to see him. I mean, I love how he even says Dathomir <laughs> to hear that planet name drop in the movie was cool. So is he going to, I don't know, try to train her a little bit? Kind of what he wanted to do with Ezra, maybe see if she has I don't think she's force sensitive, but kind of get the most out of uh, he can with her skills because they establish she's a great fighter. And that's another great thing about this movie is the references and Easter eggs that were laid out in this movie were some really deep cuts that I loved. I mean, when she said uh, her fighting style was Ma- uh, Terrace Kasi, I don't know if that name sounds familiar to you, Dane. But Not at all. <laughs> do you remember that PlayStation 1 fighting game for Star Wars that came out? Back in 1998 um, or seven. Oh wait, wait, don't don't. Um, was it uh, like Star Wars Revolution or something? No, it's just called Star Wars Masters of Terrace Kasi. Oh, okay. it's regarded as one of the worst fighting games ever. <laughs> <laughs> it is beyond bad. <laughs> the controls are awful. Like the ring, like the rings are small. The moves are hard to pull off. Graphics aren't that great. But at the time, it was like. Hey, it's Star Wars and Street Fighter. This is going to be awesome, but it's regarded as one of the worst fighting games ever. So, so what's, the fact, worse, what's worse, Tim? That game or uh, Superman 64? Yeah, Superman 64 easily. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could play Star Wars Terrace Kazi a little bit. Superman uh-huh. 64 is pretty much unplayable. <laughs> and I didn't spend $90 on it. So. <laughs> but it's just funny to me that the fact that one of the worst fighting games ever and one of the worst Star Wars games ever now has a big uh, place in the Star Wars canon as a fighting official fighting style for one of the main characters in a movie. I think it's awesome. So yeah, I'm just excited to see that where her mall are going to go and what their plan is going to be moving forward. So I just think it was such an awesome surprise. One I didn't see coming, but man, it just, it works on so many levels for me. So yeah, I guess uh, <laughs> that's pretty much my thoughts on solo. Again, if you want to hear more from me, they've got, another three and a half hour podcast. <laughs> it's not always the song it continues on it, but I don't know, I guess to wrap up the discussion, what are your final thoughts, Dane? And what would you rate it out of five? If you had to, 
Um, I guess my final thoughts are, like I said, I, I, I liked it. I didn't love it. Um, probably not going to see it again. Uh, or, I mean, of course, when it comes out on, uh, you know, either the digital release or the Blu-ray. But um, don't really feel the need to see this again. Um, but I liked it. It's it it, it it serves its purpose. It's a Han sort of origin story. And, um, yeah, if they do a sequel, I'll see that. Um, now, my, my final question for you, I guess, Tim, is... So, Han was work, ha, has been working for... Um, oh, my God, I'm forgetting the name. Um, uh, An old character or a new character in this uh, movie? An old character. Uh, like Jabba. Jabba. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he's been working with... Je- uh, or in A New Hope, he's he had been working for Jabba for 10 years then. Or at least probably doing jobs off and on within that po- standard time frame, yeah. yeah, yeah we just don't okay. know when the, that job where he dropped his shipment, like, was that the first job he did for Jabba? Or was it, like, a few jobs down the line or something? Oh, I see. I see. So yeah, that was another so- cool thing they, they set up for a potential sequel. I mean, Beckett says, hey... No, like a big time crime boss and Tatooine putting the crew together. I mean, <laughs> who else is it going to be other than Java? So yeah, that's another route they can go to if they get a sequel. Yeah, so I guess in the end, I I just liked it. Uh, it was kind of underwhelming for me, but but you know, I'm not one of these people that that's going to go online and bash this movie because it was it had the fourth biggest opening in 2018, <laughs> or <laughs> the fact that it what it is, I, I think. Num- still the number one movie. Uh, yeah, but not going to lie and say it had a disappointing box office. I mean, there's no getting around that. For a Star Wars movie, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> it's not the end of the world though, like some are saying and everyone's saying, oh, is there Star Wars fatigue? Is Star Wars doomed now? Like, come on. No. <laughs> well, it's just I, one I, movie, first of all. Yeah. I, I do agree in the sense that I think it was released a little too soon. I think, um, you know, yeah, if, think- if, if it was released in December... Uh, November, December. I think, you know, I think a lot of more, a lot more people would would have seen, gone on to seen it, see it. I agree with that too. Yeah, I, I'm sure Lucasfilm probably uh, realizes that probably would have been the best bet. I think if I'm reading somewhere, like they kind of couldn't because of some licensing agreements and all that stuff. Really? But with yeah, what, with toys or I'm something like that. I'm yeah. not sure, but it had to do something with that. But I'm sure they're thankful that episode nine is now like a year and a half away, <laughs> even though it's going to be a long wait for us fans. But from that standpoint, I'm sure they're glad to get to let, you know, let Star Wars breathe a little bit from those who maybe think it was released too soon. So 2019 yeah. December, that'll be a lot <laughs> more than enough for me as far as the wait goes. <laughs> yeah. So um, like I said, I'm not one of these people that that go totally overboard and criticize this movie for no reason essentially um I, I i do have my nitpicks with it but i mean you know do do we need this movie not really but like you said it's good to see it um so i'm probably gonna give this one a a, a good three out of five i thought it looked really good it was directed really good uh the performances besides you know, uh, Amelia Clark. I mean, I hate to single her out because <laughs> I, I really like her in, in uh, Game of Thrones. But it's just like she wasn't there. 
you know, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's, for, for such a pivotal character in Han's life, I, I just expected more from the performance, but it just wasn't there. Um, so yeah, I'm going to give this a three out of five. It's kind of in the middle. I, I, I liked it. So that's why it's a three, but there are some flaws with it. And, you know, I, I, I kind of just want to see a movie that doesn't have to do with any character that we've seen before. Um, no Sith or Jedi. I mean, no, we're saving the galaxy. No, we're part of the rebels or we're the empire. I just kind of want to see a movie where it's just a bunch of people that have nothing to do with anything and they have a space adventure, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, kind of worn out on the, on, on, you know, the fact that this has to be tied into the Skywalker story or this has to be tied into the, the new, uh, the new movies. I, I just kind of want it to be, you know, there's just these group of people that you know have nothing to do with anything on this far off star planet or this far off planet um that has nothing to do with anything you know i just kind of want to see that story rather than um it has to be tied to the 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 original trilogy or has to be tied to the the um the new movies or it has to be tied to the prequels or whatever you know I, i i i just want it to be, you know, just a story, you know? Yeah. And I think you're going to get that pretty soon. I mean, after episode nine, I think yeah. you're really going to, this is really going to open the landscape. I mean, you got Ryan Johnson's trilogy, you got David Benioff and D.B. Weiss's film series. They got planned. So I think we're going to get those and I'm all for mixing it up. I mean, cause I love getting still these stories and filling in the, the gaps or blank pages of characters we know about and learning more about the history. I love that. But at the same time too, I'm all for getting, new characters and new stories. And I think once we get past episode nine, that's what's going to happen. So yeah, for me, I thought it was great. I'd probably give it a four and a half out of five. I really loved it. I mean, I just got some really small nitpicks and stuff. I wish I got more of <laughs> that. I love, but again, it's probably more of me and my expectations and what I'd like to see. Cause they, all the stuff, like I said, at the beginning, I was hoping to see they really delivered. So, and you mix that in with great new characters and the big surprise of Darth Maul and the potential uh, stories we can get from just this one movie. I think it's awesome. So, yeah, I was a satisfied Star Wars fan after seeing it. And, you know, like I said, it's now it's going to be a little uh, slow in the Star Wars movie front uh, <laughs> for the next year and a half. So, uh, but thankfully, we'll have still got a lot of these new movies. I mean, I, again, it's awesome. I thought even though it probably didn't work out financially <laughs> with the box yeah. office that it came out just six months, but just as a fan getting those two star Wars movie in that short amount of time was just awesome. So uh, it's just going to, even though it's going to be a long way to episode nine, I got plenty of new movies to <laughs> rewatch and go back to the big time, go by quicker to get my star Wars fix. So I'm thankful for it. Yeah. And in the end, it was great to see Han and Chewie again, because this is the only way we're going to get that relationship now right yep yeah <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah so the fact that it was Owen great to gave such a great performance and had a great chemistry with chewy in here i mean that makes you want to see more and the fact that they were able to nail that i think speaks volumes to the performance yeah and it was really weird because i mean i guess it it, it, it was the same story with rogue one 
where they didn't really promote it that much. I mean, you didn't see. I mean, I think Amelia well, Clark did some like of the late night shows, but no, they, I think Rogue One had a pretty steady promotional appearance like any other star wars movie but this yeah. one i just think they waited too long like the trailer we didn't get till april yeah the first yeah. trailer until a month before the movie comes out so it just seems like they just waited a little bit too long to get you know the promotion started for the film did they did they um really do the solo cups i think they did yeah the solo solo cups <laughs> uh i'm pretty sure they did okay. i mean how could they not yeah no. <laughs> I guess I have to go to the the, the grocery store then. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pick up my solo solo cups. Uh, All right, so um, yeah, I guess that's it for a future topic, right, Tim? Yep. Go All see right. Solo. That's the. Yeah. <laughs> if I can leave any last thoughts, just go see it. You know what I don't like about theaters? I I I didn't go to the the um, theater that I um, always go to. I went to a different theater. Uh huh. I don't like the reserved seats with the reclining chairs. Really? Because I have yet yeah. to go into a theater that's like that. Oh, really? But you're not a fan of them? No. For one thing, like, I don't really need a reclining chair. Um, also, it's more expensive. And yeah, that also, I'm aware of. Yeah. <laughs> Which is probably why I haven't gone to one yet. <laughs> and also, yeah, like, you, you got to reserve your seat, right? And there's there's less seats in the movie theater. Um, and sometimes that movie sells out and it's like, okay, so I can't go see it at, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday because, it, yeah. <laughs> because everybody's going then and the, you know, the, I don't know, 50 seats is reduced down to 25 seats. And, you know, like I, if 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 there are open seats, it's all the way in the front, you know. So it's 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 like kind of unnecessary. I mean, I don't think we need to lay down while we watch movies <laughs> in a movie theater. But I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Um, I mean, the reserved seating aspect obviously is a great feature, but see, yeah. to me, when the tickets go on sale right away, especially for the Star Wars movies. Yeah. I mean, and for big movies, it's like. A, we always heard reports on the websites crash and all that. I wouldn't think I'd be able to get a good reserved seat in time. <laughs> like it'd be hard to get the specific spot you want. Yeah. Cause sites always don't work and you know, you might not be able to get, get the one you want in time. So I haven't done that yet, but I wanted to try it for solo. So got one that's not too far from where I'm at. So just to experience this is how it is. Maybe I'll have the same reaction you did and I might not think it's worth it, but I should at least try to experience a movie like that once I think. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think you need to lay down. Yeah. <laughs> that. That's good to know, too. <laughs> Especially if you go by yourself, right? Let's say you go to a movie by yourself. It's, I mean, I don't know how it is on the mainland, but over here it's two seats per section, right? So two seats, two seats, two seats, two seats, right? For a row. Okay. So, like, what if you go by yourself and then somebody else who went there by yourself, but by themselves sits right next to you? or reserves that seat right next to you then what yeah like it's, uh, <laughs> it's like a little weird right <laughs> uh, i guess you sit by strangers sometimes when you go to a movie when it's packed but yeah but what if yeah. you lay down and <laughs> but i guess if you're just two seats per row it could feel a little weird maybe <laughs> like yeah. you're the only two there <laughs> uh but anyway um let's move on to our news and discussion topics for this episode tim 
Um, for this episode, uh, we oh, this isn't comic book reviews. What am I doing? Um, our first piece <laughs> of news it, is <laughs> is that um, there's going to be a new comic uh, mini series. Uh, it's going to be called Batman Kings of Fear, featuring the return of artist Kelly Jones. Tim. Yeah, this one got me excited because, to be honest, there's been a lot of Batman miniseries lately and kind of hard to keep up with them. I know there's been some good ones. Like, I've heard Batman White Knight's really great. And I'll probably, like, I think that just ended too. I'll probably check it out once it gets collected in trade. But there's just been a lot of them recently. And some of them, are like, oh, okay, an elsewhere type thing or just a cool story to check out. But nothing's really grabbed my attention too much. But this one did for two reasons. First, Kelly Jones back as an artist. I mean, did some covers for Nightfall, which, you know, it's the ones where Batman has like the really big years. There's, it's not my favorite Batman design, but the nostalgia part of me always liked those covers and the art we got in Nightfall. So the fact that Kelly Jones is coming back to do this, it's to be pretty cool to have that old, you know, Batman Nightfall style art in a new series and story. I think it's going to be cool. But the fact that it's going to be focused on Scarecrow, and this has me excited, you know, how much I love Scarecrow. But uh, just, um, trying to look again to see who the writer is going to be because I want to make sure I get his name right. It's Scott Peterson. And he's pretty much excited to tell a Scarecrow story because he feels he gets why I think the Scarecrow is a good Batman villain because they both operate on fear. Batman uses, you know, his look to against to install fear against criminals. And that's obviously Scarecrow's uh, main way of, you know, getting what he wants and you commit crimes is using his fear toxin. And the fact that's, kind of going to be a clash that they're going to have in here is something I can't wait to see. And kind of what this is from uh, an interview he did with comic book resources. He goes, um, there's been some great stories with all the villains. Um, It did feel like given how integral to Batman as a character, both in the real world and in the comic book world fear is that there was still yet more to be said with Scarecrow, or at least a take that I hadn't quite seen. So that gets me excited. I mean, there's been a lot of Scarecrow stories, but if uh, Peterson has a story he doesn't think has been told yet with the Scarecrow, I mean, I'm all down for that. So um, it comes out in August, um, I believe. Yeah, uh, August 22nd. So this will be one I'll probably check out for Kelly Jones being back and then having a Scarecrow story that will hopefully be something unique and different. So definitely going to keep my eye out for this one. All right. So uh, our next piece of news is that uh, the Wonder Woman <laughs> – sorry, <thank you. laughs> when the Wonder Woman – uh, sequel logo, and um, I don't know if it's the title. I mean, are are they really yeah, going to call know. it Wonder Woman eighty four? I mean, I, I know that's what I'm questioning because yeah. actually, some sites and uh, outlets have been saying, "Oh, this is the title. It's going to be Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four." Like, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah. like I said, this could be the logo that's telling you the year it's going to take place in. We know it's going to be in the eighties, but. Yeah. Part of me is thinking, would I, like, what if it's called, if it's Wonder Woman 84 or Wonder Woman 1984, how would that be as a title? Because personally, I just don't like it when sequels are just called, you know, if it's just Wonder Woman 2. I like it when there's a subtitle to it. But if it's a subtitle, but it's still like a, a number, like 1984, like, I don't know, it'd be something different. Like, I wouldn't be my favorite, but at the same time, I wouldn't think it's horrible either. So, yeah, I mean, Wonder Woman colon or wonder woman 2 colon 1984 no, no if they're gonna call it yeah if they're gonna have 1984 in the title there should be no wonder woman 2 like it should have just be wonder woman 1984 not wonder yeah. woman 2 1984 <laughs> to me that would be a little too much but, but 
yeah, I think production is supposed to be starting really soon on it. So it should be cool to follow the production, maybe get some set photos and some first looks at Cheetah and some of the new characters. So it's been kind of slow on the DC movie front, understandably. I mean, we're still waiting for the first trailer on Aquaman. And just like a few weeks ago, I believe Zachary Quinto tweeted out a picture of himself in the Shazam costume, like sipping a Slurpee, <laughs> which is Zachary kind of funny. Quinto. Not uh, Zachary Levi, you mean? Levi, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> you know what? I've been watching uh, last week. I watched all the new Star Trek movies, so that's probably why I thought of Zachary Quinto <laughs> instead. <laughs> so. yeah, I was like, wait, he's playing Shazam? Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember hearing that. <laughs> Zachary Levi, yes. Yeah. But I think he had to take that picture down. Oh, <laughs> really? Warner Brothers made him, yeah. But yeah. everyone's made a bunch of fan posters and memes out of it. It's a yeah. funny picture. I've just seen him sip a Slurpee, but. I mean, that's the only look like official look we've got at Shazam so far. So hopefully over the course of the summer, once we get an Aquaman trailer and maybe they decide to release some stuff with Shazam, some of the movie news should pick up because it has been pretty quiet. <laughs> yeah. When are we going to get that um, Aquaman trailer? My guess would be Comic-Con. I mean, Warner Brothers is usually good at officially releasing the trailers now after they show it at Comic-Con after yeah. what happened with the Suicide Squad trailer. So <laughs> I'm guessing we'll probably get it there. Oh, I see. Um, so yeah, that's it for our uh, news and discussion topics. So um, we do have an email from uh, Jordan, right? Yes, we do, as always. All right. Uh, did you want to read that? Yep. Uh, Jordan says, hey, Tim and Dane and Alex. Tim, you should have danced the bat to see at the wedding. <laughs> that's what I would have done. Uh, you know what, Jordan? That's a great point. I wish I would have thought of that because I'm sure it would have looked better than whatever dance move I was doing anyway. <laughs> But yeah, to do the, you know, fingers crossed going over my eyes, that would have been perfect. But, but Jordan asks you, Dane, have you had any luck tracking down that video footage? No, I haven't. Um, <laughs> Thankfully. I think, I think um, you know, I think Kyle thinks it's a curse, so he burned yeah. the tape. <laughs> <laughs> I think oh, it's man. gone forever, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, of course... Uh, Kyle does use the VHS cameras, VHS <laughs> video cameras. I'm sure he that's what he used. Yeah. So he, <laughs> so he, uh, he, he didn't want to, you know, start his marriage off in a bad way. So he erased. I mean, he burned all that footage. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I wouldn't blame him. I wouldn't blame him if he did with my dance moves. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the actual reason is that the. Usually, videographers for wedding, it takes a while to edit it all together. Yeah. I guess make it a complete video. So <laughs> he'd probably just have to gotten it yet. But or maybe. or the, that videographer could take as long as he wants. Yeah. <laughs> or the videographer could could have been like, or he while he was filming everybody's entrance, he could have just been like, seen you and just been like, yeah, I don't need to record this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or he saw the playback. Is like, nah, I should probably edit this out. <laughs> I should probably delete this for who, whoever that guy's, you know, <laughs> who, for, for j- just erase it so that guy doesn't have to see himself on YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> on a YouTube. Video. Uh, well, I would appreciate that. So. <laughs> <laughs> but Jordan continues saying, "I'm sure Tim will back me up on this." Dane, I would recommend checking out the 2003 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animated series when you finish the 2012 one. I would just consider myself a casual TMNT fan, but the 2003 series is what got me into the Turtles. It's awesome. I especially love Mikey's portrayal in it. He's my favorite turtle. Really? It's not too just straight up campy? 
No, it's actually in certain stories, it's one of the more serious takes on the turtles. But I agree with Jordan; it's fantastic. It maybe yeah. goes on a little too long, like the last few seasons, or it's kind of like eh, I probably should have ended it earlier. <laughs> but what's great about it, especially in the first four seasons, they pretty much season one and two, I would say for the most part, they do straight up adaptions of the early 1980s Mirage comics. They're just great stories that they just took from the comics and put them into the animated screen. It's really, really good. So, aren't those, aren't those stories like really dark? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I mean, yeah, they just, did what they could with them uh, yeah. for you know a children's show back in 2003, but they got the essence of there and definitely the character beats that made those stories so good. Yeah, I see. So yeah, I agree with you, Jordan. It's it's a great series, especially those earlier seasons. I probably don't love it quite as much as I do the 2012 one, but it's definitely the next best series. Oh, so. Tim, you you know what I watched? Um, I watched uh, the Next Mutation. It's on Netflix. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. That looks awful. It looks awful, Tim. I I, I watched awful. one episode. <laughs> I watched one episode, Tim. <laughs> I'm surprised um, you're able to sit through one. Yeah. <laughs> for one thing, they don't even care about the animatronics because like, uh, <laughs> I think it's uh, Raphael's riding a motorcycle in that one, and yeah, like, the, right. like, the mouth is hanging open. <laughs> that is probably worse than Out of the Shells. Yeah, and it doesn't really even make any sense. Like the story, it's so like I don't even know if it's worth going into. Uh, it's like it really is it it starts off in like ancient china yeah i don't even remember that i just know there's like some magical object involved yeah yeah Yeah, there's like a time portal or something and then yeah i don't know i don't know but yeah the worst one of the worst parts about it like because they introduced that new female turtle venus de milo yeah venus de milo like they established, oh, like the main four turtles. Oh, we're not actually brothers or something like that. We just came from the same pet shop or whatnot. It's like that's the foundation of what turtles is built <laughs> off. That they're a family, they're brothers, and they throw that out the window. It is like, uh. it's like they. It, it's I, I think this was a Fox show, was it? Yeah, like mm. like the Fox animated block or whatever. Oh, um, live action block, <laughs> like or the live Power action, Rangers, all that. Oh, okay. Um, because you know they teamed up with the Power Rangers in a special, right? Yeah, I I, I saw that. Um, I I think it's on the uh, Netflix. It, I I saw it on Netflix, but um, I think it's on Netflix too. Um, yeah, probably. Oh, but, that show. <laughs> yeah, it's like that 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 this show is. I mean, that show is just awful. It's like one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. But like, <laughs> yep. what I don't understand is like. Say, I, I mean, like I, I don't even understand why Fox bought a license for uh, the Ninja, Ninja Turtles, right? Mm. And then they decided to make a show, a live-action show about it. And then it's like, let's put zero money into it because that's what <laughs> it looks like. It looks like zero dollars yeah. <laughs> went into it. I mean, they're clearly shooting in Los Angeles, right? They, I mean, they 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 don't even try to like hide. The fact that it's Los An- California, you know, Los Angeles, right? And it's like it. Secondly, it looks terrible. the The animatronics look terrible. Um, there's zero lip syncing going on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least the 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 turtle animated. I mean, the the turtle uh, live action movies at least tried, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, the the props look terrible, um, especially that motorcycle. Like it's <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it, it just looks terrible. Um, the 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 turtle Humvee or the turtle uh, Jeep, because I think Jeep was a sponsor for that show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that looks terrible. Um, voices weren't good either. Like, yeah, voices uh, were terrible. Um, like I said, the props were terrible. Splinter looks terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't um, think he was even in the first episode, but uh, I don't remember. Um, but Shredder looks awful too. If I could just watch a YouTube clip of him, man, he's bad. <laughs> yeah, um, he he is in the first episode. He has to yeah, rescue okay. uh, Raph. Yes, because because I don't know, Raph decides to go on his motorcycle and encounters the Foot Clan in an abandoned warehouse. He decides to go to an abandoned warehouse. Um, yeah, that looks terrible. Um, uh, Shredder looks terrible. Um, yeah, don't ever <laughs> watch that terrible. show. Yeah, don't ever watch that show. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you should have watched the uh, 2007 animated movie before you watch that because <laughs> that's gotta be the next thing you check out. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was a huge misstep on my part. I, I, it, I, I was just curious because I didn't know what it was. Um, I, I, I just typed uh, TMNT into Netflix and I was like, I wonder what they have. That's the only thing they have. Oh, really? So the animated movies off it? Yeah. Because yeah. it was on not too long ago. Yeah, because I, I, I wanted to see it. So I just typed that in and then the next mutation came up and I was like, oh, I haven't heard about this. What is this? <laughs> and yeah. Uh. Don't yeah, well, now you know. <laughs> uh, but Jordan goes on in his email saying... Oh, which doesn't doesn't make sense. They're, they're like in ancient China, but the turtles are from ancient Japan. <laughs> are they like... I don't remember any of the main plot points of that series. So yeah. <laughs> I think it's for the best, yeah. <laughs> It'll just make me angry. Yeah. <laughs> But moving on from Turtles in the next mutation, Jordan continues saying, Pennyworth sounds like it could be really cool to me. I love what Bruno Heller and Danny Cannon have done on Gotham, so seeing them get to play in the Batman universe some more has me very excited. Ideally, I would have wanted the show to be set in the Gotham universe and star Sean Partwee. Uh, he's amazing as Alfred, I agree. Uh, but I'm still very excited to see what they do with it, even though it's its own thing. The casting on Gotham has overall been outstanding, so I have confidence that they will find another great Alfred for the show as well. I don't have epics, though, so I guess I'll have to remedy that before the show premieres. Speaking of Gotham, what a season. I absolutely loved it. Gotham continues to be my favorite of the current DC TV shows. Spoilers. I've got to start out with what the show has been doing with the Bat-Cat relationship. It's been phenomenal. My one complaint about the first half of the season was that we didn't see much of Bruce and Selina at all since they broke up last season. But that all changed in 4B. I love seeing Bruce and Selena repair their relationship. I thought the Bat-Cat fight scene where Selena uh, caressed Bruce's face before they kicked butt together was so amazing. I always love seeing Bruce and Selena fight together. As I said in my last email, my all-time favorite live-action Batman fight scene is when he fights with Catwoman on the, top, on the rooftop in Dark Knight Rises. I was frustrated by how many fake-out Bat-Cat kills we got, though. Nonetheless, we continue to get Bat-Cat moments that I love, such as when they uh, replicated the shot from Batman Returns and when Selina came to visit Bruce on his birthday. It all culminated in the episode One Bad Day, which is my favorite of the entire series to date. 
it's almost impossible for it not to gain the distinction given that it gave us three of the greatest live-action bat-cat scenes ever. Yes, the first one of those is when Selena tells Bruce, Bruce, I'm going to be here whenever you need me. Yes, triple exclamation points <laughs> from Jordan with that yes. Selena always has Bruce's back, and I love hearing her reassure him of that. That leads into the second of the three scenes I alluded to, which is when Selena snaps Bruce out of the influence of Scarecrow's fear toxin. She puts her hands on his face, on his face, looks into his eyes, and says, Bruce, breathe, look at me. You can see the love Selena has for Bruce in her eyes. Bruce and Selena have such a deep connection and understanding that love each other so much. And because of that, Selena is able to get Bruce to see clearly again after he thinks Alfred has just been driven mad and died. Then we get the final scene of the episode, where we finally get another bat kiss after a year. I started crying tears of joy as Alfred left the room. Even after having been faked out by the show multiple times this season, I was convinced they were finally going to kiss again, and they did. It was an absolutely beautiful scene. My tears of joy turned into sorrow because of what Jeremiah did at the very end, though. While I'm on the topic of Jeremiah, wow, I thought the twist with Jerome slash Jeremiah was brilliant. The producers stuck to their guns to make it so Jerome wasn't the Joker, and yet they still made it so Cameron Monaghan would portray the clown prince of crime. I love his portrayal of Jeremiah. Tom King showed us in the War of Jokes and Riddles that a calmer, more subdued Joker can be just as terrifying as a more flamboyant Joker. That's the kind of Joker that Jeremiah is. The other villains who really stood out to me this season are Professor Pig and Toymaker. I think Professor Pig is one of the most underrated Batman villains. Even Toymaker's in this show? Yeah, I actually kind of forgot that he was. (laughs) (laughs) It was just a brief one episode, though. Did he get killed off? I think he did. (laughs) But so I don't think we're going to see him again before the series ends. So that's why the series is ending. I mean, when you're pulling out Toymaker, (laughs) you've run out of villains. (laughs) Well, you could only go down from Toymaker. It doesn't get much bigger than that, really. (laughs) Uh, He says, I think Professor Pig is one of the most underrated Batman villains, and it was amazing seeing him brought to life in live action by Michael uh, Cerveris, again, probably butchering the last name, (laughs) who delivered such a creepy performance. That scene where Jim got him to snap and reminded me so much of Edward Norton in Primal Fear. I also love the Tormek appearance because he was an original villain created specifically for the animated series The Batman. As a huge fan of that show, it was really special seeing an original character from it appear in live action for the first time. Here's hoping we eventually get Ethan Bennett in live action too. I love the setup for next season with No Man's Land beginning. I was It was so cool seeing the different villains carve out the territories and seeing the first of many Gordon slash Bruce rooftop meetings. I'm so glad the show was renewed. I was really worried that it wouldn't be. It's really a bummer that it'll only be a 13-episode season and that it will be the final one, but I'm very glad Fox let Gotham know in advance that this would be the end so that the writers can prepare prepare for it and the show the way they want to. I'm really hoping we get a lot more great Bat-Cat scenes in Season 5, like the ones we got in 4B. I think Selena is likely going to make a triumphant return to Gotham next year and save Bruce when he gets into some kind of trouble. I'm very excited about the new characters that John Stevens said would be appearing in season five. The ventriloquist, mother, orphan, and Lady Shiva. Now, I, I must have missed it where we heard about orphan and the ventriloquist because you know, I think we were talking about in our last episode how ventriloquist was one of the last main Batman villains <laughs> that they haven't yeah. used yet, but it looks like he will be. And Lady orphan, Shiva, huh? too. Like Lady yeah. Shiva, like uh, how how did they introduce her to the show? I mean, is she like yeah. a 
Like a, well, maybe with well, Rage. yeah, because how they left it, like the female members of the League of Shadows, they yeah. joined up with uh, Barbara. Like, like, because there was a whole subplot with her and Rachel Gould, which wasn't my favorite part of the season. But I could imagine that's where Lady Shiva was going to come from, maybe from that part of that section of the League of Shadows. So now working with Barbara and a part of her gang. And I would imagine Lady Shiva and Orphan will be connected in whatever story they're going to tell. I mean, to have Cassandra Cain in there should be pretty cool. Hopefully it'll be uh, done pretty similar to the recent stuff we got in the comics because I love some of her recent stuff in Detective that we got with uh, Cassandra Cain as Orphan. So I didn't know about that. So thanks for letting me know in the email, Jordan. <laughs> that does get me more excited for some of the new characters we'll see next season. And um, Barbara is has been a bad guy, right? Yeah, pretty much. For, for, the, for the whole part. show. After season one, like the end of season one, pretty much is where oh. she became bad. And, uh, and why did she become bad? Uh, she kind of had like a mental breakdown where, and she killed her parents. So no. <laughs> I forget the exact reason. That's kind of the gist of it. <laughs> she ended up going to Arkham by the end of season one. So, oh. Okay. <laughs> But Jordan continues saying, yes, guys, the Ventriloquist is one of the final big Batman villains the show has yet to tackle, but they're finally doing him. I think Bane and Killer Croc will really be the only two big ones left. Um, yeah, definitely. I'm not sure if we'll see Croc, but Bane, I kind of, you know, he's not technically in it, but they did do a story with Venom in season one. So he has a connection in there a little bit. So I kind of count him, but yet don't. <laughs> so uh, there's a hint of Bane. I'll say that. You know what they I'm should a, do, Tim? What's that? They should bring in Bob. From uh, the movies, <laughs> hey, I wouldn't mind that. Yeah, <laughs> because if you think about it, he would be the same age as the Joker, right? Or, or around there, right? Yeah. So bring him back. Yeah, I mean, that's the perfect introduction. You know, maybe he'll be new. part of yeah. yeah Jeremiah slash Joker's gang next season. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> yeah, that'd be. Uh, if they're bringing Bob, I'm sold on the entire series, Tim. I mean, yeah. I know it's the final season, but I'm sold. Yeah, if they announce that, you got to watch the final season. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he has to go out the same way, too. I mean, it's like it's Bob's totally, trademark. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> Maybe they could just change the weapon, like Joe could say, Bob, bow and arrow, or something like that. <laughs> he shoots a bow and arrow. <laughs> uh, poor Bob. I know. Uh, but Jordan says, I'm so excited about Mother. I thought she was such a creepy villain in the Batman and Robin Eternal uh, Maxi series a couple of years ago. And I'm psyched to see her already making the jump into live action. Cassandra obviously played very heavily into No Man's Land in the comics. So it's cool that the show will be using her too as they adapt the story. Even though the age discrepancy between her and Bruce will likely have to be quite different than it is in the comics. That's nothing new for Gotham to have to change without a character though. Apparently, Mother and Orphan both appeared in the montage of villains at the end of the season four finale. But I didn't realize it was them since they both look so different from the way they look in the comics. I continue to be blown away by how many Batman characters Gotham brings to life that I wasn't sure when I'd ever see in live action. Well, so there goes the theory about Orphan maybe being connected to Lady Shiva. Unless there's still a connection, they'll establish that later. But I guess we did get our look at Orphan in that little montage. Because they were wearing masks. It's like a mother or a a grown woman and a young girl like wearing masks. And I guess that one's the mother and the other one's going to be orphan. So like you said, Jordan, I'm sure they're going to put their own Gotham choice on the character. Um, I pumped about Batman appearing in or Batwoman appearing in the next big Arrowverse crossover. 
While we've seen Batman-related characters such as Huntress, Firefly, and Rachel Ghoul in the Arrowverse, it feels like an even bigger deal to now finally be getting a character who actually wears the Bat insignia. I'm really excited to see Batwoman and to see her interact with the other Arrowverse characters. I wonder if uh, Florina Lima will come back as Maggie Sawyer in the crossover and meet Kate. I'm also curious. Maggie's with Earth- in that show? You know what? Wow. Uh, she's in Supergirl. Oh, she's in Supergirl. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was about yeah, to say, like, I don't ever remember her being an Arrow. <laughs> no, yeah. She was a character in Supergirl, like, the last two seasons, but uh, I think she, she left this season because I think she had to go to another show. I'm not sure, but oh. that would be the perfect opportunity to bring her back for Batwoman. Yeah. Um, I'm also curious what Earth Batwoman is from. My guess would be Earth 38, since we know Batman exists on it, but it could be Earth 1 or another Earth entirely. Yeah, right now I'm guessing I think I kind of said this on the last episode, so I'm guessing it might, to make it easier, she would just be from Supergirl's Earth, but I'm kind of hoping they establish it in Flash and Green Arrow's Earth just to get Gotham and Batman, some type of Batman connection in there, other than just name a few name drops. So, we'll see. I love the Death of Superman trailer. Personally, I'm digging Rain Wilson as Lex Luthor so far. I also love Jason O'Mara's Batman, so I'm eager to hear him repraising the role yet again. It's awesome seeing Doomsday just wiping the floor with the whole Justice League. It really shows just how big a threat he is. Two lines in the trailer really stood out to me. The first was Superman's line about not being able to stand bullies, as I think that's a great Superman line. The second was Wonder Woman's line to Superman about not holding back. That gave me, chi- that gave me chills. It reminded me of Superman's speech to Darkseid in their final battle in the DCAU when he tells Darkseid that he, that he finally has faced off with someone he can let loose again. Can't wait to see this movie. We also got the trailer for Lego DC Superheroes, Aquaman, Rage of Atlantis. I didn't like it as much as the Death of Superman trailer, but I thought it was pretty good. I really think DC is trying to create some synergy right now between the animated and live-action films. We were supposed to get a live-action Flash movie earlier this year, and around the same time as it was supposed to release, Lego DC Superheroes, The Flash came out. Now, a few months prior to the live-action Aquaman film, we're going to get Lego DC Superheroes, Aquaman. And DC Superhero Girls Legends of Atlantis is coming out at some point this year, too. It's awesome that there will finally be another Aquaman-focused DC animated movie, since it's been over three years since Justice League Dawn of Atlantis. It looks like Atrocitus and the Red Lantern Corps will be the main villains of this one. I've always loved them, so I think that's awesome. I've also long been a proponent proponent of the idea that any DC hero should be able to come across any DC villain at any point. So I'm totally fine with Green Lantern villains being the main antagonist of an Aquaman film. Plus, we're getting Ocean, Man's, Ocean Master in this too, presumably a second villain. Although based on the trailer, it looks like he might wind up siding with Aquaman by the end. So Aquaman's rogue gallery is represented as well. Jessica Cruz will be in the movie also, so there is a Green Lantern presence to help counter atrocities too. It appears that Lobo will be another secondary villain. And I think he's such a fun character, so I'm excited to see him. One of the highlights of the trailer for me is the scene where Aquaman tries to summon sea creatures in dry in a dry lake basin. That cracked me up. I'm also eager to hear Scott uh, Menville repraising his role as Robin once again. He's my favorite Dick voice actor. And while he's playing Damien in this one, like he did in Lego DC Superheroes Justice League, I still think he's great in that role as well. The only big issue I have with the trailer is that for the second straight Lego DC superhero film, in a row, we're getting absol- an absolutely awful Batman line. Apparently, Wonder Woman has been knocked silly. 
are you serious? <laughs> Troy Baker, the delivery of it doesn't help either. I wish he'd use the same Batman voice when he does the Lego Batman movies or the Lego movies that he uses in Batman, the Telltale series. I remember being apprehensive when he was cast in, in Batman, the Telltale series, given that I didn't like his Batman voice in the Lego films. But then he, wo- he wound up changing it uh, for that and giving it a very good performance. I wish he'd start using that Batman voice for these movies now. It wouldn't change the fact that they give him some terrible dialogue, but it would help it go down easier. It does appear that Batman gets a costume change at some point in this film. He's currently wearing a design inspired by his new 52 suit, but it looks like he's getting the oval back just like he is in the comic suit. While overall I preferred uh, no oval, I also love a lot of bat suits with ovals, so I'm fine with this. Anyway, overall I'm very excited for this film. It occurred to me that uh, three DC movies are coming out in the span of a week this summer, which I don't think has ever happened before. Earlier this year, two DC films, Batman Ninja and Lego DC Superhero Girls, came out in back-to-back weeks, which I think was also a first. The Death of Superman comes out on July 24th on digital. Teen Titans Go to the Movies comes out on July 27th in theaters. And Lego DC Superheroes Aquaman Rage of Atlantis comes out on July 31st. What an exciting week it will be with San Diego Comic-Con right before it all. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't keep up too much with the Lego movies, but... I mean, it's awesome that they still make them. I mean, this is another way to get more DC content out there. I should check them out eventually because I know, Jordan, you're kind of, they're not your favorites, but you usually say you enjoy them. I've heard good things about them as well, so eventually I should probably check them out. But he continues saying, speaking of Lego DC Superhero Girls, Super Villain High, I really enjoyed it. I'll keep my thoughts spoiler free. There's not a ton to spoil, but there are a few fun surprises along the way that are best less unrevealed until you see the movie. This is honestly my favorite Lego DC superhero girls film to date. Catwoman is right at the forefront, and I loved her portrayal in it. There's one scene where we see how she's an expert lock picker, but she is framed for cheating at picking the lock. Several other superhero high students are victims to similar framing jobs, and they are suspended from superhero high and recruited to join Uber High, led by Lena Luthor in disguise. There's some really fun stuff in this movie. There's a subplot with Beast Boy that I found hilarious, and it's something very exciting for sure. Tim, you've got to see Fifty First Dates. It's the fact that uh, if the fact that there are three eleven songs is not enough for you, then let me tell you that it is my favorite non-Batman live-action movie of all time. Take that for what you will. It's a film that always puts a smile on my face and makes me laugh. It's hilarious, raunchy, raunchy comedy, but it's also got some really heartwarming moments in it, with the love story between Henry and Lucy. Dane, can you back me up here on how great a film this is? Dane, can you? Uh, no, not, not really. I, I have to say that I've only seen it parts of it on TBS, so I haven't actually seen the whole movie. Um, but yeah, no, it's not for me. <laughs> well, at least you've seen it, Dane. Yeah. I still seen it. <laughs> well, parts um, of it, Tim. <laughs> but Jordan says that it's awesome you used to go to Sea Life Park, dude. That place looked awesome in the movie. I just hope a walrus never vomited on you like in the film. <laughs> Tim, you're right. I would be bummed if I went to a 311 concert and they didn't play Amber. It's one of only two 311 songs that I know, and I love it. However, Love Song is my favorite of the two. That song is incredible. Do they usually play that one at concerts too? Um, not as much as Amber, because Amber is a staple at every single 311 show, like I said last episode. But Love Song, what? back when it first got released, it was kind of a mainstay, but since it's almost been 15 years now since that song came out that has lessened in their play set list but they still play it from time to time it's not like it's forgotten 
the Jordan continues saying, I thought Batman 46 and 47 were amazing. Dana, I can't imagine the TMNT comics would be any better than King's Batman run. <laughs> of course, you guys know King's run has just been a dream come true for me personally as a huge Batcat shipper. It's already my favorite comic book run of all time. King is doing things in this run with the Batcat relationship that I've always wanted to see, but was never sure I would. Spoilers, in Nick's 246, I love seeing the version of Catwoman in the alternate reality that Booster Gold created. Booster's speech to her about how he thought seeing her and knowing he could only marry her in, if the timeline was fixed would make Bruce want to correct things was beautiful. I love how Booster thought back to Everyone Loves Ivy, where Batman uses love for Catwoman to figure out that Poison Ivy's love for Harley Quinn could get her to stop her reign of terror, leading Booster to try to use Batman's love for Catwoman and to, to get him and help fix things. I also thought it was so awesome seeing this version of Catwoman wearing the Batman Returns Catwoman suit. Unfortunately, things didn't go as planned, and that final scene of the issue was horrifying. In issue 47, I thought we got one of the most unique versions of the Wayne murders ever. We've seen that fateful night play out so many times in different Batman stories, and yet this time it felt fresh, because it was so devastating seeing the adult Bruce from the screwed-up timeline have to witness his parents' murder along with his younger self as well. The final scene of this issue was haunting too, as Booster was so traumatized over the whole event. Booster compulsively trying to clean the blood off his goggles really showed how much the ordeal affected him. It made me really happy seeing our timelines Batman and Catwoman together again at the end of the day, as they should be. I also loved reading Booster's refer to Catwoman as a hero, just as Wonder Woman did in issue 40. It's what I've always said about Catwoman, but it's great to see her referred to as such by characters in Universe 2. I'm so excited for the best man arc as well, Tim. That Joker story in DC Nation Zero was absolutely terrifying. I love seeing Kang write more a more subdued Joker in the War of Jokes and Riddles, but now he's writing a more traditional Joker, and it's just amazing. I'm so pumped to see Catwoman kick the Joker's butt to save the love of her life in time for the wedding in issue 50. By the time this episode airs, we'll be less than a month away from my OTP finally tying the knot. I couldn't be more excited. Batcat forever. From the first kiss to the last. What do you, do you remember? What um, OTP stands for? Um, original time uh, paradox. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> um, oh, see, not even original. See, one true pairing. That's what it is. One true pairing. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, obviously, we haven't. I mean, we've asked that before when we looked it up, <laughs> and obviously, we haven't used it again since to remember what it. <laughs> I, I, Sorry I, about I, that, Jordan. We're showing our old age. <laughs> I can't believe they they've uh, dragged this um, sort of wedding or lead up to the wedding out so long. And it's been like all of this year, right? Yeah, to me that seems natural though, because you know weddings usually take forever once you announce the date yeah, <laughs> to get to I that guess. point. So, but Jordan's right; it'll be here just under a month now so we'll see how long it lasts after that that's the big question <laughs> another month <laughs> no no i'm just playing jordan <laughs> jordan continues saying speaking of catwoman in the comics i absolutely love her new suit that she'll be debuting in catwoman number two it retains a lot of elements from her current suit which i also love but it also reminds me a bit of batman return suit especially the new cow i'll also I also am sure that the openings in the suit will be very welcome for Selena in the Gotham City summers. Joelle Jones can do no wrong. First, she designed Selena's gorgeous wedding dress, and now she designed the incredible new Catwoman suit. I'll say it again, she has quickly risen to become one of my favorite comic book artists ever. 
Okay, a couple of questions to wrap up. Oh, this Tim, Tim, you said uh, second favorite comic book artist ever. Why? What should I have said? No, you said uh, my favorite um, comic book artist ever. Oh, I didn't say second. Oh, see, yeah. <laughs> first I thought I said second. Yeah. <laughs> then I thought you said, "Oh, you did say second, but apparently I didn't say second. <laughs> or, or at least I don't think you did. Uh, I don't well, know. <laughs> let me correct that. Jordan says, I'll say it again. <laughs> she has quickly risen to become my second favorite comic book artist ever. Okay. So so now even if you did or didn't, it's clear now. <laughs> yes. It has been said. Yeah. <laughs> but Jordan's questions. He goes, was Catwoman getting a new suit in the comics? It felt like a great time to ask what your favorite Catwoman suits are. My favorite one is in the comics or in the comics is honestly her new one. My favorite one in live action and my favorite overall is Anne Hathaway's suit in The Dark Knight Rises. My favorite animated one is the one from The Batman. And my favorite one in video games is the one from Batman The Telltale Telltale Series. What are your favorites? Um, For me, I'd probably go on the comics front. To toss up between Darwin Cook and Jim Lee's Catwoman. I mean, first off, I love the Catwoman suit where uh, she has the goggles but still... Like kind of the mask with the goggles, that combination. I love that look. I think Darwin Cook and Jim Lee kind of did the best versions of that. For movies, I'm still going to go with Michelle Pfeiffer's suit from Batman Returns. Just the fact that it has the mask. My one nitpick about Anne Hathaway's is that she didn't really have a mask. It was just the goggles that you know went up to be the ears. So um, I'll go with Michelle Pfeiffer's. And then the animated front, I'll go with the new Batman Adventures redesign of Catwoman. It's kind of more similar to Michelle Pfeiffer's. Um, I would say the Batman's Jordan, but because I she has the look of the goggles, but her ears are just a little too big. <laughs> kind of reminds me like it could be like a mouse costume <laughs> as well. So that's why that one's not my favorite. And then for video games, I'm going to go with Arkham City because that kind of harkens to the Jim Lee look that I like a lot too. So those would be my favorite Catwoman suits. Yeah, for me, it, um, comics, it's definitely the the Jim Lee one. Um, so. Yeah, that, I guess my favorite video game one is the is the um, from Arkham City. Yeah, um, even though the Telltale one's pretty close too, that yeah. is a good cause. Um, live action, yeah, I'm gonna have to go with you, Tim. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer's one. Um, it's it's probably the first time I saw Catwoman, so mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's definitely my favorite. Um, and animated. You know what, just because I, I recently watched it, I don't know if you've seen it yet, Tim, uh, but uh, Batman Ninja, uh, minus <laughs> um, her chest area, should I say. <laughs> um, I don't need that. Um, but everything else besides that is, uh, it looks really cool. Yeah, I still got to see that movie. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, like I said in my review of it, it doesn't really... It's not really a strong story-wise, but the action set pieces are really good. Yeah, I mean, just yeah. visually, I mean, I got to check it out because it's so different for a Batman film to be like that. So yeah. <laughs> just on that front, I still got to check it out soon. But Jordan's second question is, I was thinking about how much I wish Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows had gotten a sequel. It's gotten me thinking what movies I most wish had gotten sequels but never did. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows is just outside my top three. Here's my list. Number three, Green Lantern, the Sinestro Tees. Number two, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. It's my favorite live-action Marvel film of all time, and it deserved one. 
And number one, the Batman versus Dracula, a Batman house adaption was planned as a sequel, but tragically never happened. What's yours? Um, for me, I would agree on Green Lantern. I mean, I'm one of the few who doesn't hate that movie. I recognize its problems, but there's still a lot of stuff I like about it. And I think if they had they made a sequel, they could have corrected a lot of that stuff and made something really, really good. So still always bummed they never got a sequel. And then number two, it's going to be a little weird, but I'm going to say the straight up sequel to Man of Steel. I mean, the fact that we haven't gotten one yet and hopefully it's not too late. <laughs> I mean, it's a shame. I love what they set up in Man of Steel and the fact that we just went straight to BVS and Justice League. Just felt Superman never got the due he needed just for his own film series. So hopefully that's still on the horizon. But again, it's not definite. And <laughs> these might be a little weird too right now because they're real recent. And it's not officially that we won't get them, but it's not looking good. I'm going to say Justice League and Solo. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> with the teases we got in both, I mean, it made me excited to see future movies with those teases and the fact that we might not get them has me worried and especially uh with the justice league one being more <laughs> solo than solo but both aren't looking too good based on the box office numbers so if we don't get any for those i will be very disappointed i want a sequel to rogue one then <laughs> <laughs> and who what characters would you like to see in that one Dave? <laughs> um well the way rogue one ended tim <laughs> Well, so, I got the perfect um, movie, Dane. Oh, a no. A New Hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, A New Hope. There we go. There we go. That's it. Um, huh. See, this is a tough one because I'm probably going to do a thing where it's like, if you ask me at the time, right? Uh-huh. And they eventually did get sequels. So... um Definitely the first Spider-Man movie. Uh, if you had asked me at the time, like, like if that got a sequel, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I would want a sequel for that. Um, two, yeah, definitely Solo then, because uh, it it doesn't look like it's going to get a sequel to him, yeah, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> and then one... A prequel to Rogue One. <laughs> <laughs> That's so possible. <laughs> That's possible. I mean, you could see, yeah, um, I mean, yeah. They had a book on, you know, some of Jen's early days before leading up to when she was in Bell and Rogue One, which was really good, actually. So yeah. if they wanted to, they could always make a movie off of that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what happened in that period between when, um, oh my God, I'm forgetting his name, Tim. Um, uh, Saul, Saul Guerrero yeah Saul Guerrero uh, like what happened between that period and Rogue One you know what happened in that entire period mm-hmm. you know, yeah they go into that. that in the book which is pretty cool yeah so yeah it's called it. uh, Rebel Rising is the name of the book Rebel Rising and is it, yeah. is it like official canon or is it just one of uh-huh. those things where, oh okay yeah okay it's it's built as a young adult novel, but it's pretty lengthy. So, oh, good. So, yeah, that's going to be it for Jordan's email. Thanks, as always, Jordan, for sending us your thoughts and questions. Always fun reading it and going over your questions. So we'll look forward to your next one in the next episode. Is our next episode going to be the um, wedding? 
Uh, probably not, no, because the wedding's okay. in July. Yeah. Okay, I I can't wait for that email from Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, hopefully, hopefully it lives up all to Jordan's high expectations. Because <laughs> if not, uh, we'll be a therapeutic source for Jordan if it doesn't. <laughs> he can let it all out to us on an email. Um. So yeah, now, now we can move on to our comic book reviews and like what we say at the beginning of every single episode, Tim. Uh, this is going to uh, be a lot of spoilers, right? Mm-hmm. So if you haven't read your books, you might want to come back to this part later. Um, and a rating skill for this episode is going to be things that look cheap in the next mutation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, this has to be a pretty high rating scale to get an accurate amount. <laughs> yeah, so our rating scale is going to be from 1, which is really bad, to 10,000. Yeah. <laughs> which is really good. Um, but for this episode, we're going to um, be reviewing Detective Comics number 981 and Doomsday Clock number 5. Yes, yeah, so Detective Comics 981, this is it. The last issue of James Tinian's The Fourth Run on Detective Comics. And I got to say, right off the bat, he ends it with a bang. It's just a satisfying conclusion. It's like a serious finale to a TV show that wraps up. Um, the stuff they set up with the characters in a very satisfying way. So right off the bat, I just got to say I love this issue. I mean, because first off, it has to conclude the story arc with uh, Brother I and Tim being like the Batman Omac and Ulysses, his plan, to try to get Tim to utilize his dream of creating the perfect you know fight against crime. But it begins with Tim still you know being controlled by the Omac, that Brother I, Batman, talking with Batwoman and the last left off where he was showing her what happened and why he needs to do this to you know, prevent that horrible future where that future chimp came from. But it turns out as Stephanie Brown is hacking uh, the brother eyes, she's able to find out that uh, what happened didn't actually go down the way it's being shown through brother eye where Batwoman infiltrates the bat cave and takes out Batman by shooting him as she was sent there by the government. But in actuality, uh, what happens is that she still infiltrates the Batcave. She's there alone uh, working for the colony, but it didn't go down where she just shoots Batman in cold blood. She finds Bruce there, and Bruce, you know, was looking. He's older, and she's telling him, you know, she goes there to help him, not just to kill him. She's trying to convince him, well, let's figure out a way where, you know, you can escape this, and, you know, everyone will believe if Batman gives me the slip and I'm not able to bring you in. Uh, we'll just keep hunting each other. And Bruce tells her, you know, I don't have time for that. Like, I'm dying. He says he pretty much became uh, um, he got infected with radioactive isotopes as he was building, you know, the Brother Eye satellite. And so it's killing him now. And so instead of just, you know, continuing this run and he's going to make it where Batwoman completes her mission, he goes, you know, just he gives her the gun. He goes, you'll spare me last few minutes of excruciating pain. And he has batwoman pulled the trigger and she kills him so that's where uh, it looks like in the future tim never got to see what actually went down as the brother eye program deleted that footage originally but stephanie brown was able to find it bring it back and show what actually happened so that's what sent tim in the future off on the deep end and created that version of himself as batman what we got in previous issues but this was you know this issue contains a lot of great character moments and this was the first one here um, even though it's kind of like an alternate future timeline uh, I really like Bruce's dialogue here because he explains what Batman is because we've had stories like this one and there's others where you kind of bring out the point where there always needs to be a Batman beyond Bruce, which I'm not always on board with. I think it's a story that can work 
Uh, I just don't like it where it comes from Bruce. I always like the idea that Bruce is very possessive of that title as Batman, that he could be the only one to be Batman. And on instance, he'll look to Dick Grayson or someone really close to him to take it up. But it just can't be given to anyone. So it works fine when like in Batman Beyond words and Amanda Waller's project to make sure there's always a Batman or someone else. But I never like it when it's Bruce's idea. And in this moment right here, he establishes that he goes, Batman was an idea I needed to live. Like it was the only way I could make sense in this world. And yeah, that's what we expect of Batman. And for Bruce, he needs Batman to, you know, to live his life. He depends on it. But the fact that he should put it on other people, that's what he's realizing. You know, that's not what Batman is. And that kind of holds other people's back. And he wants them to, you know, look at themselves and have their own future, not just be decided by the legacy of Batman. So it was a great character moment, I thought, for Bruce. And once Tim sees that, he snaps out of being controlled by Brother Eye and he goes back to looking like just a normal Tim. But he hasn't lost full control yet. Ulysses cuts in and says, you know, Tim, this is your choice. You can still fulfill your dream, create the ultimate future where we don't have to worry about crime. But then Stephanie Brown's uh, saying, you know, no, you know, this isn't the way to go down. Like this is the Tim Drake I know and love wouldn't do this. So it's pretty much uh, the de- Tim has a devil and angel on his shoulder or he has to make the right choice. And of course, he makes the right one doesn't let the remainder of Brother Eye take control of him, and it shuts down the entire program, and Stephanie just punches Ulysses, taking him out of commission. And thus, everyone who was infected by the Brother Eye and became Omax, they all go back to normal. And then we got another good character moment between Tim and Batwoman, where they're just kind of making amends with each other and just realizing that they both can't control the future themselves. Like, they can't just keep looking to change things on their own. They kind of have to live in the present and just let go of worrying about, you know, doing everything themselves. And that dream Tim had with the Belfry and this team and the team that was created, everything they could do to prevent crime. Tim realized it, let it, it went too far and he just can't be obsessed with it. And Batwoman kind of realizes uh, the same thing with, you know, being involved with the colony and her father, just making, trying to live up to reputations that they set for themselves so then they just end up hugging each other and, of course, forgiving each other for kind of went went down. So this is another great moment that wraps up the arc that these two characters went through recently. And then after that, we get a continuation of what happens three weeks later. Batwoman and Bruce or Kate and Bruce are having dinner, kind of catching up. Bruce saying, you know, uh, I still want you to be part of my life. I mean, we're family. And, you know, even even though things kind of went south a little bit with her going to the colony, everything that happened with Clayface. Um, they still want to work things out. It was just great to see that Bruce telling her, you know, he still wants to be a part of her life and hers with it because she is the only family that he's got. And she tells her that uh, her father uh, got reinstated into, into the military, but not uh, through the colony anymore. Uh, so he's a colonel again, but the colony has been shut down. And, but it gets revealed later as Kate says goodbye to Bruce that she's still working with the father, but it's through as Batwoman now. She's kind of he's kind of like the guy, <laughs> to quote a phrase from Spider-Man Homecoming, the guy in the chair for her. <laughs> or he looks up the missions, he gives it to her, helps her out from, you know, behind the scenes. And then Kate tells Bruce, catches up what's going on with Luke Fox, saying that he's going to step down from being Batwing. He's going to focus his time on researching the Brother Eye technology. Jean-Paul Valley is still going to go his own way. So um, things ended, you know peacefully with pretty much all the bat members and that's where the rest of the issue concludes with catching us up on what happens to the other team members first up is cassandra kane as orphan i like what 
James Tinian wrapped up with her story. Um, she's been one of, you know, she doesn't say a lot, but she's been one of my favorite characters throughout his whole run. And to see her end up in Leslie Tompkins' free clinic, that's where she's going to stay, was pretty nice to see. And the fact, too, that she's going to get tutoring lessons from Barbara Gordon uh, with her speaking abilities. And she goes over, you know, reciting Shakespeare and going over plays just like she did with Clayface throughout the course of Tinian's run. So um, a, a nice moment here for Cassandra. But then also, too, we get a big reveal as we see her and Barbara going over uh, Shakespeare. Uh, we see someone looking in from, you know, far off, looking in through the door. Then we find out it's Clayface and that Basil Carlo has survived. He's still alive. Um, he said uh, he sees Barbara tell Cassandra, you're amazing. He just whispers to himself. Yeah, you really are. And leaves a note for her as you see him use his clay to have it stick to the door. And we see her, see him going in uh, with the doctor, Victoria, just saying that he's going to leave Gotham. And that he's happy to see that Cassandra's doing fine without her. And he's, you know, ready to move on and become something new. And the same goes for Tim, because that's who we catch up next here. We see him getting ready to leave to Ivy University, him and Bruce saying goodbye and saying Bruce telling him, you know, you always have a home here and all that. So just nice, pretty much nice happy endings for all the characters in here, which was nice to see. But it gets revealed that Tim is actually isn't going to Ivy University. He's traveling with Stephanie Brown because as she found out in the last issue, there is some timeline discrepancies, <laughs> knowing that she used to be Robin and Batgirl. So her and Tim are actually going to head off to try to figure out what all that means. So um, that's going to be cool to see. I'm hoping and wondering exactly where that's going to take place, because I would love to see them kind of be on a mission looking for that lost time like some other DC characters have been since Rebirth. So that's going to be cool. And it turns out Bruce knew all along that that's where Tim's going. <laughs> and Tim knew that as well. Um, so the last bit of this issue is Alfred talking to Bruce uh, while Bruce is in, in his Batman costume on a tower. Alfred's telling him, you know, the tracker on Tim's car says he was heading south, the opposite direction from the university. And Batman just tells him, uh, just shut, you can shut down the trace, Alfred. You know, he'll reach out when he needs me. And this kind of putting a bow on this whole arc where Bruce set up this team, Alfred tells him, you know, this whole project, it did leave an impact on you, didn't it? He goes, maybe you'll start an entire school for young vigilantes. And Bruce is all, nope, not yet. And Alfred's all, right, you're actually considering this? And then Bruce just sees the signal goes up. He goes, you know, that will be a conversation for another time. But just contact, or he goes, uh, when he says, uh, send a message to Jim Gordon and go tell him everything's going to be all right. And it just, the last shot is Batman swinging to go meet Gordon up the rooftop, kind of signaling, you know, uh, return to the status quo for Batman stories with in detective comics where it's mainly just going to be with Batman. So like I said, it was a great finale to this issue. I liked how James Tinian wrapped up um, all the arcs that he established with these characters here. And just in general, his entire run from detective comics, when it was first announced in rebirth, I was really excited for it. The, it was something different. You got these different characters forming a team and we Robin or red Robin, Batman, Batwoman, orphan spoiler and throwing Clayface into the mix i mean how can you not be excited about what the story could be and thankfully it delivered especially those early issues it was really good that team dynamic i really fell in love with it and of course it changed later on uh once uh, stephanie brown left uh, tim everyone thought he died so and then batwing and azrael came in it wasn't quite the same when they jumped on but still that core team in the beginning, I just loved how James Tinian wrapped up their arc here um, in Detective Comics 981. So I'm going to give it four and a half out of uh, 
cheap uh, production <laughs> uh, budget for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, the next mutation. Yeah, he really knocked it out of the park, not only this issue, but his entire run. Definitely one of the best in, since Rebirth. So hats off to James Tinian for a great arc. And next up, we got Doomsday Clock number five. And this one, again, another long wait for the next issue of Doomsday Clock, but I always feel they're worth it. And this one's no exception, but this one kind of gets us caught up uh, after Doomsday Clock number four, which is mainly telling us the origin of the new Rorschach. This one catches us up with most of the other characters we were introduced to and seeing what they're, what's been going on since we last left them in issue three. And it picks up first with uh, Adrian Veidt in the hospital bed after he fell um, out the window in his fight with the comedian when he was trying to meet up with Lex Luthor. And, you know, he's able to come out of that. It looks like he's in a coma, but he snaps out of it pretty quick and is able to make his escape. And uh, he pretty much disguised himself as a police officer to get out of the hospital. And uh, next up, we catch up with uh, Rorschach and Saturn Girl from the Legion of uh, Superheroes. As we left off in issue four, they were teaming up, and now they're going to go try to find Dr. Manhattan together. Uh, she picks up uh, her Legion ring, and Rorschach gets his costume back that we all know and love. And so over the course of the issue, we get you know, hints of the overall narrative, what's going on in the world. It's, I kind of like it how they're doing a superhero's arm race, like with other countries we see with Russia and the U.S. as we got different heroes from different countries doing their things to show who could be the most powerful after the whole Superman theory where everyone believes the government is creating these superheroes. Um, so that's like the backdrop plot that we're getting in the story. And lo- the next, we finally get Lois and Clark in particular, Clark finally back in this <laughs> story since issue one. And uh, Lois is kind of fed up with uh, Perry White, just kind of, you know, changing the narrative about the metahumans and all that as he changed the headline of her story about a metahuman attacking Lex Luthor. And she's going to prove that, you know, this is all wrong and she's going to go straight to the source, which is Lex. And so that's what we're up to with them. But the other big portion of the story has to deal with um, Johnny Thunder um, is leaving the old folks home and uh, going to, you know, he's babbling on about looking for his old friends and he needs to find, a lamp, like a magic lantern, and so he could, uh, or a magic lamp, as he descri- describes it. He says he can find the genie and find my friends. And right when he said that, I was thinking, oh, I think I know what they're going here because he mentioned uh, Alan's lost magic lamp. And I'm thinking, oh, Alan Scott, are we going to see his old Green Lantern uh, make an appearance in here? That would be cool. So that's what we get with him. And then uh, it turns out I'm kind of jumping all over the place because it goes back and forth between the different characters. But I'm going to stick on Johnny Thunder for right now. Um, he goes, he rides a bus, he's looking, going, wants to go to Pittsburgh. Um, so he makes it to this old uh, factory. And it turns out that um, he gets ambushed by these, you know, uh, not drug dealers, but people looking to get high in this abandoned factory and with their drugs. And they end up uh, beating up on him, saying, you know, trying to tell him to get out of here, but they won't leave him alone. And, but they keep chasing him. But, Johnny Thunder is sees a green light. I'm like, yes, there it is. They're doing it with the old lantern. And we do see him pick up Alan Scott's green lantern. And you see ex- the excitement on his face. And he found it. But he's getting those uh, druggies coming. And they start beating him up. But thankfully, before they delivered a final blow with the lantern, I should say, <laughs> they were going to kill him with, Rorschach and Saturn Girl step in. And uh, they're able to prevent 
him from from Johnny Thunder from being killed. And I like how sad and girls go as Rorschach pretty much killing all of them. He goes, don't she goes, don't worry. They're all going to die of an overdose tonight anyway. But uh, before I get to the actual end of that, because I like how the issue ends as two cliffhangers. The other lead up that kind of go coincides with that is two things. Um, Mime and Marionette, uh, they're still searching for the Joker as they knew they were attacked in the previous issue for looking like clowns and one of the Joker's gangs weren't going to have it. So the fact that uh, they decided to go find the Joker to, because of that. And so they're still on the search for him and they make their way uh, to pretty much GCPD on top of uh, the, the, the rooftop where the bat signal was at. And over the, during that time too, Batman faces off with or not faces off but comes face to face with adrian Veidt as he makes his escape in night owl ship and this is a small moment but it's pretty cool as adrian just goes into his ship and he he just hear batman saying you must be him adrian Veidt. i've read all about you as he's holding rorschach's journal just one of the one of those cool moments that i love in doomsday clock scene uh, these classic dc characters interact with the watchman characters i like that introduction between batman and ozymandias there but the favorite part of the issue is is the discussion that Batman and Adrian Veidt have as they're both flying in Niall's ship, flying away over Gotham. Just both of them showing their different views and their ideologies on how they went about fighting crime in their universe. I mean, Batman's letting Adrian have it about, you know, doing something, you know, really horrible and creating a narrative about, you know, saving the world and in the main while killing millions of people till do, to do it. And then Adrian is saying, you know, telling Bruce, you know, you guys, you know, you're, you're doing things like too black and white. It's more than just good and evil superheroes versus supervillains. And that uh, you kind of, you know, you're in this, he said, you're in a vicious cycle of just entertaining yourselves. Like, can't you see that? And I like his bit of dialogue where he says, you know, is this why John, also, doc, speaking of Dr. Manhattan says, is this why he came for to observe the futility of your colorful lives or did he do it because he believed he would blend in it and i just like that idea because out of all the characters in watchmen i think dr manhattan is obviously the most super powered one and the more comic booky or classic superhero visually and power wise you would you see in watchmen so i like how adrian kind of calls that out saying that he would fit in this universe or being like that but doesn't agree the way they're doing it is working so i just like how the ideologies of Batman and uh, Ozymandias here are clashing and their views on how to you know, protect the world, essentially. Um, so what ends was Ozymandias is flying Night Owl's ship and he turns his like There's a riot going on in Gotham, obviously, because in the previous issue, it established how because of the Superman theory, people are calling for Batman. They want to expose him. They pretty much turned on him. There's protests or right out the GCPD. Batman falls out of Ozymandias' ship after he kind of does like a, a swooping flip over it, upside down flip that knocks Batman out of the ship. And Batman falls into the mob of protesters. He tries to use his grappling gun, but it kind of wasn't in time. And they just pull him down his cave and the, they just mob him. And like I mentioned earlier, uh, Mime and Marionette were on the top of that. And they're just saying, oh, this looks fun. And who shows up from behind him? None other than the person they were looking for, the Joker. He just tells him, you have caused a little bit of trouble tonight and someone ignores him hey like hey boss he goes quiet i'm monologuing because you got to see this and they just drag batman on the rooftop and this is the last page of the issue and like i said two great cliffhangers because you get batman being brought down to the joker where everyone has turned on him 
now he's going to be faced with his greatest enemy with these two characters from another world who are vicious and with, you know, his knowledge of the diary by Rorschach. So I'm wondering, is like that going to play in with Joker getting involved? And I should mention too, comedian was also, also looking for marionette and mime. So is, I just have a feeling him and Joker are going to clash or somehow come face to face, which would be interesting. And that Batman in the middle of that should be exciting to see. But also mixed in with those la- this last page of Batman being brought to the Joker, we see Rorschach um, with the Green Lantern. Um, I just love how it was playing off both ends of the story where that's where it leaves us. Rorschach just goes, tell me, explain, like, what is Lantern? So you see Batman being brought up uh, to the Joker. And then this next panel is Rorschach holding the Green Lantern. The Green Lantern. I just love that visual of Rorschach holding a Green Lantern. It is pretty awesome. So. Yeah, that got me a pump for what's coming next. Uh, like I said, this issue was mainly, mainly a lot of catching up to where the characters were at after issue three. So it's kind of setting things in motion to move forward to the next step of the story. And I will say, if I have one little nitpick, is that I'm kind of hoping that uh, Superman and Dr. Manhattan get established further or be brought into the story more because we know that's the big focal point of the ideal. As I was talking about the ideals of Batman and Ozymandias kind of coming clashing with each other. That's supposed to be the thrust of the story is Dr. Manhattan and Superman. And we're only on issue five. So I would say after issue six, halfway through the story, maybe this first half was the setup to that. And then starting with issue six or seven, we can get the full, you know, focus on the conflict between Dr. Manhattan and Superman and what that story is going to tell. Cause I'm really anxious to see that. So like I said, we got a little glimpses of Clark, in this story, um, there's another moment where he was listening in on Lois's conversation uh, to Lex Luthor, where he hears Lex tell her that um, he knows the Lex tells Lois he knows the person who created um, the metahumans for the government, and he was someone that used to be a member of the Justice League, and that gets Superman's attention. So we'll see where that goes as well. So overall, no solid issue in the Doomsday Clock. I'm going to give this one four out of five uh, cheap production values and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: The Next Mutation. That's not near enough, Tim. <laughs> if I had a five out of five issue, I probably would have given it a thousand. So. <laughs> but didn't quite get one of these two books, but it, we were close. All right, so I guess that's it uh, from us. So uh, go to the BatmanUniverse.net, Facebook.com slash the Batman Universe, Twitter handles at Batman Universe. Uh, follow Tim on Twitter at TimG311, and you can follow me uh, at Dane Says Banana. Um, you can email the show if you want to. Uh, and the email address is batfansoutpants at gmail.com. So, with that, as we say at the end of every single episode, Tim, we love each and every one of you with all of our bat and solo hearts. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you guys next time. See you later, everybody. <laughs>